Thank you, ladies. What a beautiful and true song. It's certainly a blessing to be here. I appreciate you having me, my brother Van Gelder. And I hope uh, that what I share with you today about a wonderful Savior and what a great God we serve and how He takes broken things and mends them. Uh, one of the greatest joys of life is salvation. The second greatest joy in life is living the victorious life that He gave you. And there are many Christians today who are not living a victorious life because of trials and heartaches and difficulties and things they've been through and they're not willing to turn loose of them. Because I want to tell you something. You may not understand this, but if you've ever been through a great deal of, of difficulty and you do not give it to the Lord, sometimes your difficulty becomes your shield and becomes your security. And you're not willing to turn loose of that and let God do something with your life. I want to talk more about Jesus than I do about me. I'm going to share part of my testimony. I don't usually talk about this much from the pulpit or preach about it. I use it in counseling, and God has used it over the almost 50 years in the ministry to help people who have struggled with their lives, struggled with abuse, struggled with things that they've gone through in their life. And God means everything for good. We don't always understand that. And that's a very important truth. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Job and chapter 23 and verse 10. When I open up my computer in the morning, the first verse that comes up, it says, Be still and know that I am God. Because that's a strength that no matter what you face in life or what trial you have in life, He's God. He always has been God and He always will be God. But this verse is the next verse that comes up to my screen. And it's been the verse that the God has helped me over the years to deal with the past. I did not have anyone to go to, nor I would have gone to anyone. And so what God taught me, He taught me on my own as He helped me deal with the things that I've gone through. I want to read the verse and then we'll pray. And then we'll, I'll give you somewhat of my testimony and then we'll look at how God helps you and how you can allow God to help you in your life. The verse says this, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. The very most important part of that verse is the first two parts. He knoweth the way that I take. Because God always knows where we are. Everything that happens to you, I believe Romans 8, 28 is in the book and I believe it's true. But some things, times we happen to things that God has to make good out of. That people treat people in manners of way which is not according to the will of God or the word of God, but God used them if you love them. Just like Joseph. Joseph. God used Joseph and Joseph went through a lot. But God will use your life. The second part is, is how do you handle the part when it says, when he hath tried me. That's the hard part, at using what, you have, what God has 
allows you to go through in your life. So let's pray, and we'll begin. Father, we thank you for Calvary and the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the day that your son died on Calvary's tree, paid our sin debt, shed his blood, and gave us new life, and we became new creatures in Christ Jesus. Father, one of the most difficult things in our life is to become that new creature. You have given us everything we need to live godly. Your word, your power, the Spirit of God. And Father, we have to allow our lives to be transformed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And realize that all the things we face in life and have faced in life, you're going to use it in someone's life, in our life or the life of another. Holy Spirit, would you use today the words that I believe you've put on my heart to help these young people or use them to help them help others? I ask that you would guide my thoughts. May I only say that which you would have said and said in a manner which would please you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I was not raised in a Christian home. Back when I grew up, now you're going to think I'm ancient, <clears throat> and I am pretty ancient. Um, I, I felt like a country boy coming to town when I flew in here, brother. I've always pastored in small towns, and I like small towns. But the thing is <clears throat> simply this. There are religious homes, and then there are Christian homes. I was born in 1940. Uh, my family... Uh, was a religious family, but not a Christian family. We attended church on occasions. Uh, it was not something that no one prayed in our home. We didn't pray for meals. We didn't talk about the Lord. We didn't do anything like that. Had a family Bible that everybody wrote names in. That was about the extent of it. When I was very young, I began to realize that my dad had a negative attitude toward me. I really did not understand why until a little later in my life. My dad's God was money. My dad grew up during the Depression. We lived on a farm, didn't have anything. So it became an obsession with him. Such so much that it became the ruling factor in our life. I always felt like my dad resented me because I've heard my, heard my mother say many times, Well, Stan, uh, I know how to handle money. I had a job. I worked. Well, when back in those days when... Children were born, women came home. So there's not now two paychecks. My dad lived for money, he saved money, and it was a goal of his life. So much so that my sister stole $80,000 from him, and he told the doctor, I want you to taste my pacemaker out so I can die. He had nothing else to live for. Sit by a window in my brother's house and died when he was 89 years old. We'll tell you, young people, we have a God who will supply all your needs. He's to be our God, not things in this life. So as my mom came home and I realized that my dad had a negative attitude toward me, uh, my dad has never in my lifetime told me he loved me. My dad has never hugged me. My dad, in all of my life with him, I never pleased him one time. I learned very young that you cannot trust people. I remember being about seven or eight years old, and my dad would say, how do you feel about this? 
Or what do you think about this? Or what's your emotions of this thing say? So I'd tell him. And then when he got in front of people and family, they would laugh at me. And so it drove me within myself. I'll be honest with you, I hated my dad. And I would have killed him if I could. I had so much bitter resentment. I've been whipped till blood ran down my legs. Uh, my dad would whip me for anything that I did or my brother and sister did that was wrong. And I'm not here to make you feel sorry for me. I'm here to tell you that God has an amazing grace that will change your life. Because here's the thing. As I grew, I remember my dad telling me, you're so stupid, you cannot pour water out of the boot with the directions on the hill. He'd tell me I was ugly. I looked like a girl. I acted like a girl. I had emotions like a girl. I'd never mount anything. I was not worth the power it would, powder it would take to blow me up. I lived with that most all of my life. Uh, my dad uh, told me that I never pleased him in one thing. He said, you're a failure and a disappointment to me. Well, that's how I lived. And so every time I would be whipped because I didn't do it exactly the way my dad said, I became more rebellious. I became very, very rebellious. I hated people. I hated life. And I thought, you know, if there ever was a God, then why didn't he care about me? Why didn't he take care of me? And I hated God, I'll be honest with you, I hated God. And as I grew up in my life, I became more and more bitter and more and more resentment, more and more angry. Uh, my dad would not let my mother hug me. He said he'll make a sissy out of him. He doesn't need to be hugged. And so all my life of growing up, I thought, you know, Lord, and I would say Lord, I didn't say Lord then, but I do now. I, somebody needs to love me. Is there anybody who would care about me? And so I felt like that I was always alone. My life, I've decided that, you know, I am worthless. And I am ugly. And I'm not smart. And I cannot do all these things. Now, a lot of it was my fault, and I'll give you an example of that. I'd have mowed the yard one day, and I didn't mow it the way my dad said, so he whipped me. So I got the lawnmower out, and you probably know much about this. They had real, we lived in a, on, in a town and on a farm. It had a very small yard. And so I took a push mower, a real mower, and I mowed down all my dad's flowers. He was angry. He came out and whipped me again. But you know what? I never mowed a yard again. So that's, I dealt with that by being angry and by being resentful and being bitter. I remember when I was in the sixth grade, I decided from that time on that I was dumb and that I was ignorant and that I must would just give up on life. I remember my sixth grade teacher, I'll never forget her as long as I live, she could not stand me. And I could not stand her either, so we had a mutual relationship. <laughs> and she would put me under a desk when I said something or did something wrong, then she kicked me and I'd take marbles and throw them across the floor and had an old uh, annexes, the floors were uneven, they rattle across the floor and she'd kick me again. And uh, she took me outside the last day of the sixth grade. She said, I am passing you for one reason. You are the stupidest kid I've ever taught. Your mom and dad need to take you out of high school and give you some remedial job that you will uh, be able to eat for the rest of your life. She said, I, I don't ever want you again. So I decided, well, you know, everything my dad said must be true. My teacher says it's true. 
So I became even more rebellious. And I, I look back now and I see how God helped me. I didn't understand it then. But because of my rebellion and because of my hatred of people, I didn't want friends. And I did not have friends. My dad, because of the money he was spent, if, if we went to, he went to the store and cock, fruit cocktail was on sale, he'd buy two cases and we'd eat it all the time. That was just the way it was. Whatever was on sale, we ate. Clothes, I wore clothes that were too big for me because we had to pass them down. My dad always bought the cheapest stuff, the ugliest stuff, and whatever you got, that's what you wore. I remember when I went to school, kids in my school were wearing crewneck sweaters with, uh, sweat, <coughs> with shirts under and buttoned up, penny loafers and dress pants. I wore Levi's, brogans, and flannel shirts. I was looking back not long ago at my pictures when I grew up, and I, for three years in a row, I had on the same shirt. You know, it was just, it just hated life. And so I remember a real turning point came in my life when I was 17 years old. I was a junior in high school. And, and I'm not going into every detail, but I just want you to understand this. Back then, they didn't talk about a word abuse. I never heard the word abuse. Probably wouldn't know what it meant if they said it. I, just, I had two cousins that went through the same thing. They worked on the farm. My uncle beat them like dogs. And that's just the way our life was. And we just accepted and went on. You hated it. Well, what can you do about it? Back then, kids did not run away from home. Where you go? So you had to live there. But when I was 16, 17 years old, I was a junior in high school. My dad was cutting my hair. Now, y'all probably don't know much about this because I'm old. But they had hand clippers back in then. You, you moved them like this, and they'd go up the side of your head. When they got hair on them, they'd sling it. And what happened was, when if they didn't get turned loose just right, it pulled a hunk of hair out, and it hurt. And I hollered, and my dad slapped me off the stool. And I remember getting up. I'm not too happy about this. But I remember telling my dad, I hate you. And I would kill you today if I could. And my dad was a big man. He was about 6'3", 225 when he passed away. I said, I hate you, and if I could, I'd kill you. And I'd leave home and never come back. And I could hear my mom still say in a real soft voice, Stan, he means it. From that day on, my dad never whipped me again. We had no relationship whatsoever. That summer, I joined the Air National Guard and spent 13 weeks between my junior and senior year in San Antonio, Texas, in Air Force boot camp. Just get away from home. When I graduated from high school, I worked a few jobs and uh, tried to go to college, hated that. Now that I'm older, I found out that I have dyslexia. I have two children that have dyslexia. I wrote A's and D, or B's and D's backwards. I see things backwards sometimes. I realize that was one of my problems now, since I had children that have the same problem. But back then, you were just stupid. And so I, I really didn't have any direction for my life. I wasn't saved. Uh, I didn't want to be around people. I didn't date anybody. I just, I just wanted to be left alone. And I went to work for a doctor who was in our town who knew about my situation. And I went to work for him, and I lived on his farm. And he said, Larry, you need to do something with your life. He wasn't saved either, but he said, listen, you're not going anywhere, and you're going to destroy your life. He said, listen, I'm, I've known you ever since you were born. And he said, you just need to get out of here. So I did. I joined the military. I joined the Coast Guard. 
Uh, they sent me to Pascagoula, Mississippi. And one day we were pulling, towing in a boat and in, turning it up in the river. And the channel caught a five-inch nylon hawser and broke it. And that hawser snapped and came so close to my head that I was smoking at that time and knocked it out of my mouth. If it hit me in the head, I'd been, my head would have burst like a pumpkin. And God did not speak to me audibly. I can't tell you that. But God spoke to my heart and told me that this was the time that I needed to change my life. I did not own a Bible. I didn't know if I was a Methodist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, or whatever. So I got a Bible and went home and started and brought the ship and started reading it. And the Lord has saved my soul and changed my life. Now, I want to tell you this. Just because I got saved did not make everything right. Because I would not talk to anyone about it. I began to read the Bible. God began to help me. I began to grow spiritually. But in my heart, I had built walls. Let me say something about walls. Walls you think help you. I had a wall of bitterness, a wall of anger, a wall of pride. Uh, I had so many walls that I built up for my own protection. I, I made a statement one day to myself before I got saved. No one will ever hurt me again in my life. No one. And I said, I will never let anyone close to me. And I hadn't for a long time. And uh, so... When God began to save me, or save me, I began to grow spiritually, but I harbored this in my heart. I met a fine Christian young lady. We got married, and I did not reveal to her all my past. Uh, I had to go back when God dealt with my heart and apologize to her and apologize to my kids because I had not let them into my heart. I loved them. I took care of them. I didn't know how to raise kids. I remember holding my oldest daughter and looked at her and said, God, what do I do with her now? And, uh, and I raised her just the opposite I was raised. Still disciplined, still loved them, and still cared for them. And so I really had not let people into my life, and I really had not taken the walls down. Then something happened to me that I still do not understand. I was 31 years old. I worked for a power company. I was a deacon in an independent Baptist church. I taught Sunday school. I preached on occasions. But I still had this in my heart. So God called me to preach, and so I went home and told my wife. I said, God's called me to preach, and she said, well, we'll just, you know, we'll work this whole thing out, and we'll do whatever God wants. She was a lot more spiritual than I was. And so I called my dad, and said, because I was moving, and I called my dad, and I said, Dad, I want to tell you that I've uh, been called to preach, and I'm going to be quitting my job, and I'm going to be moving. He said, that's the stupidest thing you've ever done. He said, you'll lose your family, you'll lose your kids, you'll never have any money, you'll starve to death, and you, you'll be even more useless than you are now, and hung up the phone. So, I went to college, and about, I was pastoring. The second week I went to college, I started pastoring in a little town, Dunlap, Tennessee. Still, walls up. So one night, I had gone to a revival meeting, and I walked in, I sat down, and the pastor preached a message on the alabaster box. God told me that night, he said, you've given me your, lot, your soul, but you have not given me your life. And I was preaching to people. 
So I really got it settled with God that night. And I went home and I told my wife, and it was hard to have been married to someone for 11 years. And you start opening up about your life. And they want to know, why didn't you tell me this before? I mean, you know, it's hard to tell someone you love that you didn't trust them. That's hard. And so we uh, started in the ministry there, and, and uh, I was preaching to people, and I had to take down walls. That's the hardest thing you've ever done in your life if you've ever built walls. Because once you take them down, you start feeling vulnerable. I always felt like the people was looking at me, laughing at me, and they knew what I was going through. And so it took a few years to take down the walls that I had built in my own life. It isolated me and actually made me a prisoner. And when you're a prisoner of yourself, you cannot help yourself because you cannot overcome things. And I remember the night that I did that and got things settled with the Lord. I came home, talked to my wife, told my kids I loved them, thanked them for being patient with me. Even they didn't understand what was going on. I said, well, I need to make this right, so I called my dad. And I said, Dad, I want to tell you something. I've got some things settled in my life with the Lord, and I want you to know that I'm sorry that I was a rebellious son I'm sorry that I was a vindictive, angry son, and it wasn't right, and I want you to forgive me. And at this point in my life, I said, I'll just tell you, I love you with the love of Christ. I'm not sure I could have loved him with the love of my, with the love of my own heart right then. And he said, after I told him I loved him, well, son, I'm glad to hear it, and hung up. When I was growing up, my dad whipped me till I stopped crying. He said, men never cry. When my mom went home, I believe my mom was a safe lady. I talked to her after the Lord had got my life squared away, and he never wept when she passed away. My men just did not weep where I come from. It was a sign of weakness. It was a sign of, of being sissy because men were strong, and you had to bear the load. And that's not true. Our Savior wept, and there was not a greater man who walked on the face of this earth. And he's God. So that takes, took me to that point. So I spent several years uh, getting the walls down and God helping me and strengthening me and encouraging me. So in the remaining time, as I told uh, Pastor Van Gogh, I have a strange message. I have one message for two days uh, because I've never really preached this before or talked about it before. I'm really more talking to you from my heart than preaching to you this morning. You're going to encounter, if you have not gone through some type of abuse or suffering, you're going to encounter people in the ministry who have and who are. It is more prevalent today, and people even in my generation are now uh, coming forward and talking about what happened in their lives when they were younger. Because abuse was just not a word that people used. People didn't talk about how you uh, mistreated people. There are seven relationships that we have. We have a spiritual relationship. We have a mental emotion, a, rela- a mental relationship, an emotional relationship, an affectionate relationship, a social relationship, 
a physical relationship and a sexual relationship. Those are seven relationships that every person has. Now, it's my opinion. You don't have to agree with me. But here's the thing. You can be abused in any or, or all of those ways. Right now, I've talked to you and how many people I've talked to that God has brought across my path that were spiritually abused. Spiritual abuse is real. Just like physical abuse and mental emotion, abuse, affectionate abuse. People take, treat your affections wrongly and abuse you in that manner. And it's very prevalent today among people that they are being abused in those manners. I know in pastors who have manipulated their people and abused them. That's not right. That's not what God intended. Pastors are shepherds. We're to lead people into a closer walk with Christ. There are people who have their emotions and mental abuse. So I suffered most all of that when I was growing up. And so when I began to study the Word of God and find the answers... People were coming to me, and I didn't know why. Uh, I never told them all I went through. They would come to me and say, Pastor, I've got this problem. Can you help me? Well, I really had to begin to study. I knew that help was in Christ. Isaiah 53 says, with his stripes we're healed. And I believe there is mental and emotional and feeling, as well as the guilt from sin that he removes for us when we're saved. I believe there is a lot of healing in our Lord. And I believe that He gives us the grace for that healing. The problem that we have, we have to accept it. You know, pride, even though you've been abused, you have a certain amount of pride. You know, I can handle this. I'm not going to let people tell me what to do. I'm not going to let people run over me. I'm going to be the man that I am, and that whether they like it or not. Well, that's not scriptural, and that's far from the Word of God. So, for the next ten minutes, I want to look at the first part of this verse, the Lord willing. But he knoweth the way that I take. God knew me before I was born, according to the book of Jeremiah, and you. So God knows everything that we're going to go through. Now, if you get saved earlier, thank God. Because even though you may have been abused when you were saved, you know how to deal with it. But when you're not saved, all you do is become angry and rebellious and, and just hate people, hate the people who abuse you. I mean, I have no friends in school. I didn't want any friends in school. I just wanted everybody to leave me alone. You can't live like that. God did not intend for us to live like that. So when God saved me, I began to realize that we have a God who is all-knowing. He knew where I was. He knew what I was going through. He knew that He could use it in my life if I would receive Him as my Savior and if I would surrender my life to Him. See, God transforms us. He knows how to transform us from all your pain and all your hurt and all your anger and all your frustration and all the wrong things you've been through and transform you in to a child of God that pleases Him. My life verse from all that I've gone through is 2 Corinthians 
But we all with an open face beholding the glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed in the same image of glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we think not. See, we have a lifelong ministry to be Christ-like. And only through rapture will be fully realized. But God wants to take you, whatever you've been through, and you're going to have to take people in the ministry from where they are and show them that, listen, God knows what you've gone through. God understands what you've gone through. Do you realize that no man has ever suffered abuse like Christ? In every way. We know that there's no sin or no temptation that we go through that He's not been tempted and been through. That's the reason we go boldly to the throne of grace, that we have a high priest who understands us. We go there for help. We go there for mercy. We go there to obtain grace, to help in a time of need. So since abuse in a day in which we live has become so prevalent, people have to understand that God knows about that and He can use it in your life to be a blessing to you and be a blessing to others. You know, I don't hate my dad anymore. Before he passed away, he called me. He said, I'm all right. And I said, well, Dad, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and believed that he's your, he's your Savior and received him as your Savior, you're not saved. He said, I'm all right. He said, I'm a member of the Herbert W. Armstrong Worldwide Church of God. That doesn't get you to heaven. I don't know if my dad was saved or not. I witnessed to him a number of times after my life was straightened out. My dad only came to visit me three times in my entire life. So, instead of blaming him now, I understand something. That God knew where I was and what I was going through and how to change me if I'd only reached out to him. But because of my own sin and bitterness and angry spirit, I did not. I had people witness to me. I thought, God, there's a God? No, I'm not interested. That's for old people, sick people, people can't manage their own life. Because I couldn't understand that if there was a God, why I went through that. Now that I'm on the other side of it, I look back and I understand something. That God had a perfect plan and has a perfect plan for my life. And in that plan, what I went through growing up can help other people. I've, I've dealt with people who have been sexually abused by their pastor. I've dealt with people who have, who have been through great physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual abuse. Not because that I'm a great person. It's just simply I've been there. I know what it feels like. I know how it hurts. And I know that the only answer is Jesus Christ. So if, when I understood that God had a plan, then my bitterness began to ease away. My heart began to change. My life began to change. My ministry began to change. Because God loves us so much that He sent His Son for us, He's going to help us. And so... God has a wonderful plan for your life. You're going to go somewhere. You may have been abused. I don't know. It's not my business. But you're going to go somewhere and you're going to meet people who have been abused in many areas. And what are you going to do for them? 
You can't just say the Lord bless you and the Lord will supply your needs. You know, you have to give them real help. You have to give them something that the Spirit of God can use in their life to give them confidence and assurance in God and His power and His trust. I've dealt with people who in my, who in my office and said, I've gone through things, God hates me. He just hates me. No, He doesn't. What are you going to say? No, He doesn't. You have to show them that from the Word of God. I believe that Christians in the day in which we live, I've only really began to deal with it in the first last 15 to 20 years of my ministry. Before that, people never said anything. So when you go through those things, you understand that God has a purpose, He has plan, He has help, He has strength. You just can't say, God bless you, brother, or God bless you, sister. You have to give them meat for their souls from the Word of God that the Spirit of God puts on your heart so that you can use those same things to help their heart and help their life and give them grace to handle what they need. You know, I think in independent Baptist circles, and I am an independent Baptist. I came out of the convention in about 1966. But you know what? In all of independent fundamentals, whatever you want to call us, I'm finding more abuse in those circles where it should not be. Because we know the truth, we have the truth, we're not a cult, we know what the Bible says, and yet I'm finding that many young people and many people in their 30s and 40s that were in independent Baptist churches have gone through abuse. And people need help. People need strength. And it all comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The greatest blessing, as far as I'm concerned, after salvation is when the Holy Spirit came to live in our hearts the day we were born again. Because now, as we surrender our life, our heart, our mind, our spirit to the Lord, He begins to mend us. See, it's brokenness. When, when I heard that message on Alabaster Box, it crushed my, crushed my spirit because I knew that's what's wrong. He was my Savior. I preached Him. I loved Him. But I wasn't broken before Him. And things that are not broken are not useful in our spiritual life. God wants to help us. I do not know if the Lord tarries what's going to take place in this world, nor do you. But I can tell you this, that people need help more than ever before. Just because you're saved and just because you're uh, in the family of God, you may come from a great family. I, have, I talk to missionaries who are coming home off the field. They, they, they just have problems. They can't deal with them. I think it's the college that's setting up a, a counseling thing to be able to help people when they come home off the field or pastors who are going through difficulties. Life is never simple. And life is never easy. But I can tell you this morning, standing here, and I, like I said, I didn't go all the details of my life, but I can tell you this. There is a Savior who loves you and He wants to use you. 
and without being broken. You may have never suffered any abuse in your life, but without being broken, the Spirit of God cannot mend your life and use your life to touch the hearts and lives of others. We're not islands. God has put us in places and situations and circumstances that He can use us to touch the lives of people. God wants to use you. I've looked at my life and I thought, Lord, I'm, I'm about done. I'm 80. But God's kept me in health for a purpose. God's kept me in good health for a reason. I have no idea what it all is, but I know this is part of it. And Brother Vandergeld asked me to come. I, I hesitated a while because it's just not something that's a favorite subject in my life. But I look at it like this. I have a Savior who's mended me. And he needs, people need to know that he has that power. Tomorrow, we'll look at the last part of the verse. We'll talk about how you handle the trials, no matter what they are. You're going to have suffering. Every child of God suffers, and you're going to have to know how to handle them. And I believe God's Word gives us some answers that He's showing me in my life. Father, I thank You for Calvary and the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I thank You for Your mercy. I thank You for Your grace. I thank You for Your patience and long-suffering. Lord, I think about all the time how patient You have been and are with me. That, Father, I, I could have, you could have taken my life at any time, but you've been gracious, and you've been long-suffering, and I want to thank you for that. And I pray, Father, that what's been said this morning was what you wanted to say, Holy Spirit, and I pray you put it in the hearts of these young people, because there may come a day that walk, someone will walk into their room or their office or where they are serving you and have a need. And I hope they'll begin to prepare now to be able to help people. You don't have to experience everything in life, but you have to know how to help people from the Word of God because that's our help. Lord, I pray you have taken today and will take tomorrow to be a help and blessing to your people. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.